Good morning. You are tuned to KBOO Portland, and this year is KBOO's 50th birthday. So you can make history and support KBOO if you'd like to become a member during this spring membership drive. You can call 877-500-KBOO. And coming up on the Boo at 1130, Voices for the Animals interviews Julie Whitman about how people can advocate for animals at their vacation destinations. And next, stay tuned for Radio Zine host Ken Jones, who talks with David Naiman, co-author of the new book, Ursula K. Le Guin, Conversations on Writing, a collection of David's interviews with the Portland-based Master of Science Fiction, Poetry, and Essays. KBU would like to give special thanks to our local community partners who have donated food for our volunteers today. Breakfast was provided by Bread and Ink Cafe, located at 3610 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard in Portland, and serving family-style breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Lunch was provided by Putna's Pit Barbecue, located at 1625 Northeast Killingsworth Street in Portland, and serving Texas-style barbecue daily. And dinner was provided by Mississippi Pizza, located at 3552 North Mississippi Street, and serving pizza, cocktails, and also live music performances for over a decade. For more information on how you can support KBOO, call 877-500-5266 right now. In winter on Oling Island, the music is frozen. People thaw it to drink and to boil their eggs in. The falls of the Lower Olo are wondrous in December. Welcome to another edition of Radio Zine here on KBU Community Radio. I'm your host for today's show, Ken Jones. In this episode, we interview David Naiman, co-author of the new book, Ursula K. Le Guin, Conversations on Writing, from Portland's Tin House Books. David's book collects his KBOO Between the Covers interviews with Ursula K. Le Guin, the Portland-based master of science fiction, fantasy, poetry, essays, and pretty much any form she put her mind to. Ursula passed away in January of this year, and this volume, which originated in a remark she made to David during their third and final interview, maybe we should make this into a book, serves as a timely tribute to a great writer, a great thinker, and as you'll discover in this collection, a great conversationalist. In addition to hosting Between the Covers, David's a writer of fiction and essays. His work has appeared in several journals, including Tin House, Agni, Fiction International, Boulevard, and Ziziva. And its writing has been reprinted in the Best Small Fictions 2016 and cited in the Best American Essays 2015, the Best American Travel Writing 2015, and the Pushcart Prize, Best of the Small Presses 2016 edition. David Naiman, thanks for being here on Cable, and thanks for letting me ask the questions today. No, it's great to be here, Ken. You've been hosting Between the Covers, which is Cable's weekly show about books and the people who write them, for several years now, I think going back to 2011. Do you remember your first interview? 
Yeah, my first author was with Anthony was Anthony Doerr. Wow. And what, well, you say wow, but what's really interesting is he. I mean, he was Anthony Doerr, but he wasn't Anthony Doerr. Like all he, the light we cannot see had right. not come out. Yet. And and he was a writer's writer, and um, but he and he had two really well reviewed story collections, um, but he wasn't the um, international bestseller that he is now. So. Um, he didn't have that aura around him when I interviewed him uh, then, though he was a very respected him. And then it was Nicole Krauss, another really uh, well-regarded writer were my, t- my two forays at the beginning. And uh, I, I'm not alone in saying this. I know that you're now one of the best author interviewers, I think in any medium. Uh, what was the learning process like from uh, Anthony Doerr and Nicole Krauss to uh, Ursula K. Le Guin? I don't, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think that um, part of it's just being curious about what will make an author uh, open up and be more generous with questions, which is involves not just reading what you're going to talk to them about, but hopefully reading other things that they've written and then looking at other interviews that they've done and, and seeing where they seem to uh, be more giving or where they might close up and not give as much of an answer. And I think that's clear in the, this book, The Conversations with Ursula. Uh, you, yeah. you do quite a bit of preparation. and uh, I do a lot of preparation, but I also think that we we got to know each other better over time. And I think by the time we get to the third interview, which is at her house, um, I mean, I think we always had rapport, but I think there was more... Um, fellow feeling by the end where we really we we were really in a groove so so let's get to that first interview that took place in october 2015 it focused on ursula's book uh, steering the craft a 21st century guide to sailing the sea of story which she had revised and published in a new edition uh how did you arrange that interview and were you already a big fan of her work i was already a fan of of ursula's work for sure and she had a long history of doing interviews here which I think is really interesting. Like there, there are many, many hosts over the decades at KBU that have interviewed with her, and, and I've thought a lot about that. I mean, I, I have my theories about why that's the case, because um, obviously she could have just done interviews with Bill Moyers or with Charlie Rose or Terry Gross, but I think that something about the KBU mission statement, about its connectivity to the community and to the region, she was very devoted to. Um, small presses, to radical politics, to um, sort of a bioregional ethics, which I think all dovetails well with the radio station. But when Steering the Craft came out, the new edition of it, so the expanded edition of her craft book, it crossed my mind that she's she has books, as you mentioned in the introduction, in, in so many different genres. So not just science fiction and fantasy, um, but fiction that isn't either of those. Uh, literary criticism, translations, essays, children's books, uh, oh, cat autobiographies, cat or? autobiography, <laughs> and poet, and then and poetry, um, and yet I I imagined that most of the interviews she was getting were probably about her science fiction and fantasy novels, and so I was thinking this was an interesting opportunity. Let's let's talk about the craft of writing fiction, um, and not focus. Sp- Specifically, we do talk about science fiction and fantasy, but the but we get there in an unusual way. We get there through looking at her opinions around sentences or around point of view or around uh, pronouns. 
And by taking any one of those things that on the surface might seem boring, we end up in these interesting conversations about the environment or about class or about uh, race and gender and um, and also about the difference between literary and, and genre fiction. Uh, so it, it felt like an opportunity to engage with somebody, but maybe in a way that was at a different angle than is the typical one. And as I mentioned in the in the in the introduction, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin conversations on writing got its start from something Ursula said in your third and last interview with her about a year ago. In your preface to that section of the book, you write, "At the end of the nonfiction conversation, I mentioned how rare it was." to be able to talk with someone with such a deep history in all three genres, actually more, as you just kind of uh, gave us, how unique this journey had been. In fact, I couldn't imagine who else I could have done this with. Maybe we should make this into a book, she answered. <laughs> what was your first reaction to that? And how did, how did you get from maybe we should make this into a book to this book that we have here right in front of us? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, the 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 question that I, or the statement that I said to her I know you and I, when we ran into each other the other day, were trying to come up with other names, and you'd mentioned maybe John Updike, but... That's the only name I could think of. There's not a lot of people who have such a deep back catalog in all three genres, fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. She has a long career in in all three, uh, and a, a very significant career in all three. And so when I said that to her, and then she said, why don't we make a book of it? Of course I was taken aback and and delighted um and yet didn't know that that was going to be the magic wand and, and here <laughs> we would have a book eventually did you think she was serious or off the cuff just kind of a light remark and no she seemed serious uh-huh. about it and um she seemed serious about it and originally she was thinking cuz all three of the books that we were so we were engaging with recent books of hers as sort of jumping off points for those three genres and all those books were at small presses and some of them quite small so one of them was engaging with uh, a book that came out from a, an anarchist press in Seattle or an anarchist press in San Francisco and another one a feminist science fiction press in in Seattle um, and she was suggesting she made a joke that that um, her agent was probably frustrated because she was always giving her books to these small presses that had polit- that were um, didn't have huge distribution, but but were both regional, and she liked that. They were outside of New York City. She liked that, uh-huh. and they also had a, a a politics that she really admired. So she had a real ethics in these gestures. And I said to her, "Well, one thing we could consider that might both fulfill that." and also make your agent a little happier because it's a, a, a slightly bigger press uh, is Tin House books. And I knew she had a history with Tin House. She'd published stories with them before. They're literally down the street from her, from her house. So you have this sense of being in the family. And then on top of that, they, they give fellowships to their workshop that are for undocumented Writers, or and they have a very well-known summer workshop here. They do here in Portland, and for the recently incarcerated, and so it seemed like a, a no-brainer to try Tin House. They also have a, a lot of craft books, so it's like here we have all these things sort of coming together. Can keep it in the family. We can um, express Ursula's ethics, and we can make her agent a little happier. And um, that so we presented them with the idea. We assembled 
the beginnings of the book, which the beginnings of the book were the three conversations that we had for Kebu. And Tin House was interested, and then we worked from there. So we, we both Ursula and I wrote original material for the book. And then one of the cool things about the reading experience versus the listening experience is you get excerpts. So and entire poems and entire essays. So when she mentions a poem, we have the poem. If if she mentions a translation, you see the original Spanish and then her translation. Uh, there are excerpts of some of her influences, Virginia Woolf and Tolkien, and excerpts of her own writing and, and also some entire essays. No, beautifully are, are done, referenced. too. That's actually white print on a black background. Yeah, in the, in the I like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very well designed. So you talked about the sections there and uh, based on the three interviews. And so each one was a form. Uh, first one, fiction. Second, poetry. And the third and final section, nonfiction. And uh, these are adapted from the interviews, uh, which ran about an hour each, I think, uh, initially. So there was a good deal of editing involved from the transcripts into book form. And you even mentioned that there was some original material written for the book. Yeah, well, so... Oh, the uh, introductions, of course. Yeah, so okay. I, I have an introduction to each section that is sort of orients the reader to the occasion of the conversation and also to the ways, the questions that are being raised by Ursula and her art are different when she's engaging in this particular genre. So while, there's, of course, you see these repeating motifs from fiction to poetry to nonfiction, you see a different foregrounding of questions in each of the genres. So there's introductions around that. And then Ursula wrote this really wonderful, funny and insightful and and revealing introduction to the book as a whole. A fear and loathing. Uh, fear and it, loathing in the interview. In the interview. <laughs> and in a way she walks us through all the ways in which she's been interviewed in in terrible ways. And you learn you really feel her personality in the introduction. And um it's it's funny and but you also just get a sense of, of sort of this no-nonsense sense of Ursula and how much she saw through a, a long life in, in the literary world. You're listening to Radio Zine on KBOO Community Radio. We're talking today with David Naiman, co-author of the new book, Ursula K. Le Guin, Conversations on Writing, from Portland's Tin House Books. I'm Barbara, and I'm here with Joe, and we're talking yeah. about why you need to become a member of KBOO right now. You've got to call 877-500-5266. Do this now, or if you'd rather not talk to a person, you can go online at kboo.fm and become a member. And I think what we're listening to right now is the epitome of localism, which is what is all about. We're listening to David Naiman, who is one of my favorite KBOO hosts, who used to host Health Watch, and now he's one of the hosts of Between the Covers. He's also a writer, and actually I've read his writing. He's a very good writer. And he's being interviewed by one of our KBOO volunteers and uh, public affairs producers, and talking about Ursula Le Guin, uh, probably Portland's most famous writer, yeah, and somebody, I, I knew her well. I, I knew her some, and I actually interviewed her many, many, many years ago, but David had the good fortune of interviewing her many times after that, right. and has written a book about it, um, or he's written a book. He said, I love that he, this is a co-author with him and uh, Ursula, because it's it's the uh, transcripts of the interviews that he did with her mm -hmm. on KBOO, and it's uh, printed by Tin House Books, which is a uh, a, a writing organization and publisher and everything that uh, at, um, in Northwest Portland at Thurman Street, just down the street from where Ursula used to live. Can, 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 can people get this? Uh, and no, they can't get it yet. They can't get it it's yet! It's not out yet. But we do have, for a $60 
Minimum Fudge. You can get Ursula's last book called No Time to Spare. And it's on the absurdity of denying your age. If I'm 90 and believe I'm 45, I'm headed for a very bad time trying to get out of the bathtub. That's the best quote I've heard of Ursula yet. Really? <laughs> on cultural perception, she sa- a fantasy, she says, the direction of escape is toward freedom. So what is escapism an accusation of? And on breakfast, eating an egg from the shell takes on- not only practice but resolution, even courage, possibly willingness to commit crime. So this is some of the brilliance of Ursula Le Guin, I think one of my favorite people of all time. And you can um, support the the station that brought you Ursula Le Guin a whole lot by calling right now at 877-500-5266, or you can go online to kboo.fm and uh, click on the donate jar, and you will become a member of KBOO. Do it, kboo.fm. 877-500-5266. Don't dawdle. Don't run away. Don't just go look at the sun. Come in. Make a call. Stay outside and make a call. KBOO.FM. Contribute now. 877-500-5266. Really contribute now. Now let's get to that introduction, uh, Fear and Loathing in the Interview. As you mentioned, she describes at first the bad interviews. <laughs> yeah. And I guess there were quite a few. Uh, her first really good one that she says in the book is Bill Moyers. And she describes it as uh, the good interview is like a bad mitten rally. Uh, you know right away the two of you can keep that birdie in the air and all you have to do is watch it fly. <laughs> and then she goes on, David, to describe your first meeting with her at Kebu in what she calls one of Kebu's lovable terminally funky recording rooms which probably is the very room we're sitting in now there's no no funkier room in the city than the (laughs) one we're in right now so she writes there uh, David and I were a bit stiff and shy at first of course but we soon got going and I knew our bird was on the wing and I want to ask you about your first impressions of Ursula but it's already in the introduction you wrote this beautiful passage there and I wonder if you would read that for us oh sure so so this is an an excerpt from the introduction to the the fiction section. We met at the studios of KBOO, a largely volunteer-run community radio station in Portland's Inner East Side, to have this conversation. And my first impression of Ursula there was one of -of matter-of-fact groundedness, of someone who didn't suffer fools, someone whose wealth of experience had not merely accumulated over a long life well-lived but had become something else altogether, had alchemized into a sort of lived-in wisdom. And with this wisdom, there seemed to be no patience for masks, for pretense. Confirmed again and again as we talked, my first impression of her became my lasting one. Was there a contradiction between this real, of-this-world Ursula and the imagined, otherworldly one? Strangely, there didn't seem to be. The real and the imagined were inseparable, a well-rooted writer whose imagination branched high into the sky. Yet the more I learned about Ursula's way in the world outside her books, the more it seemed like it was the unseen, the imaginary within them, that was animating the real, not the other way around. Now, can you explain that, how the, <laughs> the imaginary animating the real and not the other way around? Of course, that's in her fiction. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it goes to a deep philosophical position. So um, I, w- I would say that when she's talking about the difference between r- mimetic or realistic fiction, so what 
she would probably what a lot of people call literary fic- fiction, but she probably would have an issue with it being called literary oh, fiction. Exactly. Compared to imaginative fiction, I think she would argue that if fiction doesn't include the imagination, not or not if writing doesn't include the imagination, not just fiction, then it is less real because the imaginative faculty is a very integral part of being a human being. So true realistic fiction includes and welcomes the imaginative faculty in it. And I think when you when you see the worlds that she has imagined, uh, whether, whether it's a, a gender-fluid world on another planet or a, a post-apocalyptic tribe in, in Northern California, you see... A lot of the things that she's imagined in those worlds are the same things that are animating her choices to support regularly a radical community radio station in Portland or a small small press in Seattle and San Francisco. I I think that it's that um, envisioning of of the world that she wants to live in that is the animating factor behind the, the choices she makes on the sentence level, and then also just moving around in the world. And uh, oddly enough, in the last section on nonfiction, she has this quote, which I think is very relevant to, to what you just said, David. I think the imagination is the single most useful tool mankind possesses. So she makes no bones about that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. Of course, with the mimetic fiction and um, so-called literary fiction, she was very much against uh, being typed as a genre writer uh, and well, also against uh, writers who were writing literary fiction and, and uh, were writing in a genre without really knowing the genre or studying it. Yeah, I would say that she was very happy to be called a genre writer, but she was, and she, she wanted to be identified in that world, um, unlike, for instance, Margaret Atwood. I was just thinking of that, yes. Yeah, uh, but... Um, she criticizes, uh, she admires Atwood quite a bit, it's obvious. And they were good friends. Uh-huh. But um, so she has she's proudly in the world of science fiction and fantasy, though she doesn't like to to have disregarded the things that she's written that are not that. So she doesn't want to just be called a science fiction and fantasy writer. But what she's really arguing is not is not please don't call me a genre writer, but that genre writing is literature and is literary. The best of genre writing, just like the best of realistic writing, is is literature. So. Um, that that was a big battle that in a lot of ways I feel like she she lived to see mostly one as we've seen a lot of cross pollination and a lot of those walls fall down and of course there's a lot of uh, really great literary writers so-called literary writers who work in genres right, uh, right. and across several genres actually mm-hmm. I, I want to get to the that that final section again on nonfiction. The first two sections are based on interviews you actually did here in this funky little studio <laughs> that we're in right now. But the third one, David, you actually went to Ursula's home uh, along with Erin Yankee, who's our program director here, to help you with the recording. Yes. Uh, what was that like? So, so there you were literally on her home turf. <laughs> that's, that's right. So we found a, a quiet upstairs uh, studio, a uh, small room with a lot of book-lined room where... Um, we uh, there was less noise, so and we still had to pause occasionally if like a truck was driving by or something was happening outside. But mostly it was a it was a quiet room. Uh, we had tea. Her cat was sleeping on the bed in the in the bedroom next <laughs> next door. But the, then the famous pard, the famous pard, <laughs> and um, 
and she and part is famous because he was a um he his autobiography was being was being posted on Ursula's blog and has since been made into a book so Pard was quite a writer himself. Yes. Okay. yes. <laughs> very literary household. Right. Is that the room that Ursula writes in, uh, where you conducted the interview? I don't or? actually know. Oh. But it was interesting, of course, to peek at her bookshelf. Um, she was deeply into the Elena Ferrante series at the time. And, uh, of, of course, you, it's a very warm house. It's... Um, and she's been there a long time, right? It's a, I, kind of an old-style Portland house. Yes, it's an old-style house, um, and, and it's, it's lovely to be in. David, in your preface to this section, the nonfiction section, you write, uh, you'll discover, as I did, that Ursula feels most at home in fiction and poetry, more uneasy in the world of declaration and assertion. Uh, this came as a surprise to me. In fact, in that section, Ursula herself says about writing nonfiction, it's not my thing. It's not really my shtick. <laughs> I wondered uh, why does she feel uh, more uncomfortable writing nonfiction than uh, you know her her, pro, her her fiction works, of course, uh, fantasy, sci-fi, and the poetry. Well, it's interesting because not only has she written some really amazing essay collections, but she's also in the in the last decade of her life has given some truly remarkable speeches, which have been collected. And you mentioned one in particular, the National Book Foundation National Award National Book in Foundation Award, which went viral on YouTube. And yeah, it was funny. She said, my 15 minutes of fame. Right, which is pretty funny from <laughs> I think she's had a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but that speech, which she was giving, she was receiving a lifetime award, and all the different publishers were at tables, and including Amazon. And all, the speech was largely directed at Amazon, who was in the room. And she had warned Neil Gaiman, who was, who was presenting her, and then she was giving the speech that this was going to happen, and and it was uh, a speech against the the continued deepening commodification of books and of certain booksellers that were sort of undermining the um, health of sort of the book industry as a I. whole. I.e., Amazon. Amazon <laughs> is the as the main culprit. Right. Um, so she's she's clearly really good at giving speeches and writing essays, but I do think it is the um, the assertion of this is what I believe, uh, this is how it is that she's uncomfortable with. Because when you're in, in a fiction narrative, you're you're looking at multiple points of view and complexity. Uh, you're allowing the the reader to enter into the into the world. Um, it allows for more contradiction. And similarly, obviously, with poetry, when you're writing in lines. Um, most often not narrative uh, there's it allows in sort of the negative capability that uh, Keats talks about and um, the consciousness of the other in a way that essays some essays and some speeches don't but I would argue that Ursula's do so mm -hmm. even though she I think it, it generates more it generated more anxiety for her but I think the end result was equally as fascinating as her poetry and fiction. Uh, and, and, you, and in her best essays, you really feel her, uh, you feel like you're along with her while she's thinking. And I think that's a, a real pleasure that you don't get in the same way in the fiction and the poetry. 
I think that actually comes through in the conversations you have with her. Mm-hmm. It's you and her both conversing and her thinking out loud there. Yeah, uh, I hope so. <laughs> no, I think that's very clear. So uh, I, I wanted to close, David, within the introduction to conversation on writing. Ursula writes about her interviews with you. I want to thank Kabu for letting us do it and for being for 50 years the strongest consistent voice in Oregon of and for the arts and the freedom and generosity of thought. While America is busy tearing itself apart into factions with rant, lies, and mindless violence, it's in voices like this that you can hear if you listen what may yet hold us together. So, David, I want to thank you very much for talking with us at KBU and for being one of those voices that Ursula mentions. Oh, that's really nice. Thank you, Ken. It was a pleasure. We've been talking with David Naiman, co-author of the new book, Ursula K. Le Guin, Conversations on Writing, from Portland's Tin House Books. I'm Ken Jones, and this has been Radio Zine on KBU Community Radio. Many thanks to David for talking with us at KBU and to all of you for listening. Deep ocean, mother of music, in which all islands are silences, Rest. And you're listening to KBOO Portland, listener-sponsored community radio in Portland and in Hood River and in the Corvallis Hither and area. Hither and, and on the on the web at kboo.fm. I'm Barbara. I'm here with Joe, and we are going to urge you right now to call eight seven seven five zero zero. 5266 and become a member of KBOO. You can also go online at kboo.fm, click on the donate jar. And I just really have been enjoying that interview with David Maiman. Just thinking about Ursula Quinn just makes me feel really good to know there was somebody like her who lived as long as she did in the world, and not only in the world, but in Portland, and somebody who Joe and I and many of us here at KBOO had many opportunities to be with. In fact, I marched with her in a lot of marches. Yeah, she's a cool lady. One time my dog tried to eat her lunch. She had a, really? a shopping bag. Yeah. Your dog, I gotta say. <laughs> it was the white dog. But uh, this is like... They're I, and, the worst, white dogs. <laughs> yeah, she... Uh, I think that this reflects a lot of what is about, which is the connection of community. And Ursula was part of our community. I interviewed her back in 1979, and then she became a member of KBU. We got a check for her. I mean, I still remember that check coming, because I was the membership coordinator then. And I thought, this is really great. We interviewed this person who was a pretty well-known writer even at that point. And she responds to the interview by becoming a member and recognizing the importance of KBU. And she is actually a very vital force on KBU, interviewed many, many times, mainly by David Naiman. And he's put together this wonderful book of his conversations with Ursula. And I wish we could offer it as a thank you gift, but we can't. But I found out from Patsy, our engineer, that in fact it is available. So you can, and I don't have the name of the book in front of me. But We are totally. We're uh, just we're we're totally, out here. But anyway. Totally. Right. But this is all the things that you can, uh, that these are, this is what you get from listening to KBU. Totally. Besides chaos. You totally. Get, you get in, this, in, this incredible connection to what's going on here in Portland and around the world. And we need you to connect with us right now via your phone or your internet by calling 877-500-5266 or you can go online to kboo.fm and click on the donate jar. Now, I know it's nice weather and you're probably all sitting out getting sunny or sunned or something something like that which is preventing you from picking up your telephone or hitting your computer. That's enough of that. We are in a crisis mode in the United States of America and in the world. We need communications more than any other single thing that can help. And the way you do that is to call 
877-500-5266 and become a member of KBOO or online kboo.fm join the chaos join the struggle join in creating 